a story in which someone gets connected who is um, longing to be connected, so we all want. Uh, I can talk from my own experience. By the way, I should say this. I'm, I'm Jeff, and I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm really, really glad that you're with us. Um, it's going to be a great morning. We've already had some great responses from the last service and great stuff happening. But I, I do want to tell you, as I think about my own life as, um, as a high school student, as a junior high student, camp changed my life. Um, not because it was just about, you know, my mom getting me out of her hair, although that was definitely part of it. There's no question about that. But I don't think I knew how, if you are with us last week, I, I, you know, I didn't really know what it was like to kind of be around people who were men, who were, you know, or guys who were older than me who knew how to, like, navigate the world. And so having a guy in my life who was connected to Jesus, who could point me in the right direction, who could let me kind of be me and still kind of help me find my way was critical. And being a camp, like, is that on steroids. It's you being with a bunch of other people your own age. It's that experience of knowing that you're, you're not alone. And it's the ability to play in a way that is completely absurd and yet still matters. And you get to hear the voice of God in a way that's completely different because you get to hear it through a leader who's not crazy, you know, it's fun. But I want you to know, um, camp makes a huge difference in our life. And I'm really excited for these guys to go to camp. I know if you've ever been a part of uh, having, seeing someone go to camp before going to an experience, you get to see a real transformation over the course of one week. And we believe in it and we value it and we want to make sure that it happens. And, you know, like Jordan said, there's already some folks who are, who are making that possible for our students at a very, very good, I mean, a very great price. I mean, that basically doesn't even cover the gas to get out there. That's how great the price is. So we're really, really excited that these guys get to go to camp. And if you, like, like you heard before, if you know some students or whatever who might need a little trip or you might need to convince their parents to just sign them up and just, you know, sorry, kids are going to camp, that might be an okay policy. Okay, everybody's gone to camp, will tell you it'll be all right. Not in most things, but in this case, force, okay? Um, very glad you're here. We're, um, you know, I want to give you just one last thing on some sort of family business in addition to camp, which is kind of where we are. Budget year ends on the 30th, and just kind of want to tell you where we are. So if this isn't your home church, I mean, this is going to sound a little bit bizarre. We don't do this every single week, but I wanted to make sure as we're coming up on our year end, you know if this is your home church, kind of where we are. Um, first is this. We um, are, we we, we run a really tight ship as a church in terms of our, our budget and everything else. And if you wanted it, by the way, if you want to see our budget, come by our office anytime and say, I want to see that budget. Just if you're like curious, like where all of our money's going, you can take a look at it. But I want to tell you that we're, um, we run a tight ship. Our, our, our budget, actually, we're a little bit behind in our budget. Um, seven, eight percent, nine percent, I think, actually now. that We're nine we're percent behind our budget. But here's um, the deal. We have not overspent the money that you have given. So we're, we don't have like a giant amount that we, we're really, really careful about how we spend the money that you guys, um, you give back to God. Um, and I want to tell you how the budget process works for the next year. And this is the reason why I'm bringing this up. We are not in trouble financially. Our church is one of four churches. Mariners Irvine is the biggest one. They're the one that has sent out the other three churches. So there's the Ocean Hills campus um, down the road about six or seven miles. There's us, there's the Huntington Beach campus in Irvine. And we are fully financially independent from Irvine. If you've ever been to the Irvine campus, which is enormous, you would think, well, that's so cool. They just pay for stuff here. No, no, no. We're, we're, it's actually the opposite. We actually, we actually pay into services that Irvine, Irvine provides. And we also put in extra money to launch other campuses. So we're, we're, really, we're really independent. We're like 120% independent, if that's possible. If that makes sense. So when we look at our budget for the next year, it's as an independent church community, and we look at it in this, in this way, just the way we balance it. We look at it with math, which is to say, there's, this is how much people gave in the past year, and they take a projection based on our trends and our growth and attendance, and they go, this is how much we could probably raise your budget. And the other part of it, so it's real practical, there's like real smart math people who are in a room, and they all figure it out, and they tell me, here's what the math looks like. 
And I help them balance that with an element of faith that says, and what if God stepped in in this way a little bit? And both of us feel the tension of the other to try and determine what our next budget will be. Now, in a very real sense, the way in which we finish the year determines at least part of the mathematical equation for what happens in the future, in the next year. So if you want to be a part of what God's doing at Mariner's Mission Viejo, you want to be a part of that, great. If you are opposed, if someone dragged you by your hair, your parents forced you to be here, whatever it might be, I want you to understand something. At no point, and in no church and anywhere in the world should anybody ever give out of obligation or guilt or shame. At no point. That's not what the Bible describes. The Bible describes people who give joyfully and cheerfully and sacrificially out of their own desire, not out of ever being forced. So if you want to be a part of what God's doing in the next year, great. I'd love to have you be a part of it. We have great stuff planned. We're going to be able to do more ministry and more stuff with the more that you feel like you want to be a part of it. And so I'm excited about it. I think God's got some great stuff for us in the future, and I want to let you know where we are. Cool? All right, cool. Um, we're in a series called Listen. We're in the fifth week of the series, and it's been very, very cool. I've had a lot of great conversations with folks. People have emailed us, talked to some people even at the door or some other places. They're just going, man, you know, there's just some, some great stuff happening in this series. And what we're looking at is that God is a God of speech and of words. He says things. He's, you know, often you see in the Bible that he's saying stuff either through prophets or to people. And uh, it's kind of, you know, if God's speaking and is a God of words, then that means he probably has some kind of direction or guidance for his people that he wants to give. And yet, the whole idea of God speaking has its own level of kind of weirdness. We talked about it in week one that even as a pastor, when people come to me and say, you know, I heard God say to me something, I'm always like, are you sure he said something to you? What do you mean God said something to you? And like, are you, like there's a little bit of me that's like, you might be a little crazy. And the truth is that might actually be true about whoever's saying that, but God does speak. The analogy we get in the Bible is that, you know, God gives us in the very beginning of our series, we started with this idea, this picture of God as, of Jesus as a shepherd. It comes to us from John chapter 10, 27. It says this, my sheep, talking about his followers, listen to my voice, which means there's some kind of speaking there. I know them and they follow me. So Jesus is speaking as a shepherd who's looking over his own sheep and talking to them as if they would follow him and that there's some kind of interaction here. And the assumption that we can make is this. The sheep would be vulnerable, would be lost, would be in danger if they didn't have a shepherd who spoke to them. Because of all the things, of all the great and wonderful, miraculous skills that sheep possess, they can listen and they can follow. That's all they can do. That of all the things they can do well, the one that Jesus points out to, because they really don't do anything else, is he points out to the idea that sheep can listen and follow a voice. So God must be speaking, as weird as that might sound for a lot of us, God must be speaking. What does it look like then for us to follow? And that's where we are in our series. Let's do this. Let's pray. We'll jump into the message, and then we'll kind of respond together after that. Jesus, we are um, we're grateful that you speak. Father, we know that you hear us, and so Jesus, in this whole series, we've been wrestling with this kind of crazy notion that you're actually speaking to us. Father, as we think about our own lives, we are in darkness, we are in despair at times. We have loneliness, we have a lack of hope, and we're longing to see some way out or another. And Lord, we know that there are moments of great joy, and yet there is also moments of great sadness. And Lord, what it points to is that we need you. Father, would you help us to hear your voice, that you might see us through the darkness, the things that overwhelm, the chaos in our lives? Jesus, for a moment, we pause, as, just as a discipline every single week, we just pause for a moment, in silence, 
where we no longer produce words of prayer, but we try to tune our hearts to the things that you might be saying to us. And so, Jesus, would you speak to us in just a moment of stillness in our week right now? Father, bring, uh, bring about light in dark places in us. Help us to find our way to you and our way through the things that are challenging us, that we face. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, if you want to follow along, you got a bulletin. I mean, in your bulletin is an outline. You can follow along in that. Great to pull that out and follow along. Otherwise, we're going to be in Genesis 1 and John chapter 1. And uh, so we'll walk kind of through there a little bit, and then some other places we'll bounce around. But that's pretty much where we'll be today if you want to follow along. Um, I told you guys not too long ago, I took my family camping. It's become a thing we do now. I camped a lot up until I was about 15 or 16 years old. Then we kind of stopped doing it. I was going to, you know, summer camps. We camped a lot. So I've restarted that thing. And here's basically what I realized. Camping is adults not getting very good sleep and kids having all kinds of wonderful memories. That's basically the way I boiled it down so far. I know it's not a romantic view. John Muir would be sad that I said it that way. But that's basically the way I think about it in, 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 so, many, in so many terms. I, I, um, we were... We're camping not too long ago, and um, my, we're, it's raining and miserable. The, the upside of camping in sort of the rain and fog, as I found out, uh, which there's not very many upsides <laughs> to the rain and fog camping. Um, one is that my son and I were the only ones in our huge tent because my other kids and Amanda were in the car <laughs> where it wasn't raining and foggy, but my son was like, we need to be in this tent. We need this memory. And I'm like, yeah, it's so good. I love that you're thinking that way. I was thinking we'd leave and just, you know, put on a DVD or something, but it's cool. We can do that too. But we're in the, t- that's the first thing. And the second thing is this, that when you camp and there's some kind of fog in the air, your flashlight turns into like a lightsaber, which you need that. That's awesome, right? So all the kids are walking around in the dark, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you have to have this, and there's like little particles of the, you know, the fog that are showing up in the light, and they're walking around, and inevitably, they, because the lightsabers don't actually stop the beams from each other, someone gets hit in the head with the flashlight, and another reason to just celebrate being out in the wilderness <laughs> right there. But... At one night, uh, where I'm, the first night actually I'm there, it's raining and it's totally and completely cold. I'm, I've just now, I've taken a Benadryl for the dual purpose of making me able to breathe and also knocking me out because I didn't think I'd sleep at all. I managed to fall asleep and outside the tent, I hear crying. And I'm like, that's, and it, you know, it got the Benadryl like haze happening. So I'm like, someone's crying outside the tent. That's weird. And I don't even wake up, you know, and I pretty much figure out eventually it's my daughter who's standing outside the tent. And I'm like, wow, someone should probably help her. No, no, I'm just kidding. No, I, 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 I got up and I, I'm a little bit kind of unclear as to what's going on. And I, I'm like, you know, what's going on, Molly? As soon as she starts to talk, she's just bawling. I'm like, what's wrong? And I'm, I'm thinking, how are you here? And you were in the car. And I could not figure out, I like, cannot put it all together. She just got out of the car. It just was so confusing to me. And she's like, she starts crying. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she goes, I have to go to the bathroom. Now, my daughter is nine years old. She's been handling this situation for many years in our life. And it's raining and cold. And I just fell asleep. And I think to myself, you can shine your little beam of light in the dark. Walk yourself over to the bathroom and go. That's what I think in my head. But I can't say that. I have to say, oh, 
do you need me to take you to the bathroom with all the compassion I have in my heart to get out of sleep? And I realize also a part of the thing I realize is a phobia I have, which I realize most people who camp also have this as well, which is it's based on the belief that inside the tent is a whole lot of safety. And bears and serial killers, they live outside the tent. But they do not know how to operate those double zippers. They just, you know, I was out, to, I'm a bear, and I was ready to go, you know, have a little person burrito, but I can't get this thing open. Oh, well, you know, that's how I believe. So there's a part of me, admittedly, that's like, I don't want to walk out there in the fog. This is the beginning of a horror movie. This is how this goes down. So it's not enough for me to say to my daughter, just find your way there. You have a light, turn it on and find your way there. You know where it is. You've walked down there a million times. I actually have to embody the words. Here's where we're going. That you might overcome your own fear of walking to the, actually overcome my own fear of walking to the bathroom in the dark. We're going to have to do this together. I'll have to hold your hand and we're going to have to walk there together. Because you're too scared and the darkness is too overwhelming for you to do it by yourself. I think for us, in so many ways, we are longing for words. We're longing for ways in which our own darkness could be overcome, in which the chaos of our life is, could somehow be minimized, that we might find our way through it. We're longing for words that are embodied in power. You ever had the experience of someone say great things to you, but they were kind of absent? Like if you took the words in a vacuum, it's like, those are great things to say, but you're not really here. Have you ever had the expression of just saying, basically, if you had people sit among you in times of real grief, and of course, people who are comforting those who are in grief, they always say, and they, they ask me, I'll get asked at the door, hey, so-and-so, I, this happened to them, and they want to know this question, what am I supposed to say to them? And yet the value tends to be just that you're there more than anything else. We're stuck and we're unsure about where to go at times. And we're longing, we're not unlike, not unlike us in the world that the world is dark and uncertain and we're looking for a way out. And we're all asking basically the same question. How do I overcome? Whatever it is that I'm facing, whatever it is that I'm up against, whatever it is that may be overwhelming or causing me chaos or whatever, whatever I can't make sense of, we all ask the question at some point, how do I overcome it? Is it something in your past? Is it something that you're facing in your future? Is it something that you're right now in your present wondering, how am I gonna overcome this? We all want to know, how do we overcome? That is a question that everybody faces at some point in their life. In fact, my guess is that a lot of you, on, on your last leg, on your last kind of trying to figure out what to do with your life, thought, I'll wander into church. That's the last thing I want to do, but I just don't know where else to get an answer to this question. I've tried other things. I'm not sure about Jesus, but I don't know how to overcome stuff. In the beginning of the Bible, you get this picture of God overcoming something. The Bible starts, as, you know, famously, as you, you're going to see in a second, but... The Bible starts with some very famous words, and the story is essentially, as we begin the story of the Bible, this account of God and his work in the world and through the world, the Bible is essentially a story about overcoming, and it's God overcoming darkness. Check this out. Genesis 1.1, most famous words in the Bible, probably. In the beginning. If you've never read the Bible, you've heard that phrase uttered at some point. Sometimes it's like meant to be funny, you know, and it's always with someone with a really deep voice. In the beginning. You know, like... That's how it always starts, right? God created the heavens and the earth. The word created in Hebrew is a word, bara. Bara is used 48 times in the Hebrew Bible. And every single time that it's used, God is the subject of the word. It's always God. Nobody else, no, no other person 
has this word bara attached to them. Now, what God creates is a lot of different things, but the word bara is only associated with God in the Bible. He is the one who does the creating in this particular way, this bara, whatever this particular kind of creation is. Now, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, now the earth, this is the, this is the context into which God creates. By the way, I should say this. We're going to do a lot of heavy lifting here. Like you're going to be going, where are we going? And I promise, promise, promise I will land the plane very practically at the very end. But you're going to have to stay with me, okay? So bear with me. All right, now the earth was formless and empty. This is the context of creation. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now what you have is this. You have a term, it's these two words, formless and empty, these words. Those words in Hebrew are the words tohu vavohu. Fun to say, right? Right, now that means, that means that there is a waste and a void. It means that there's chaotic disorganization to the way things are. And this word darkness, which just in Hebrew means darkness. It's not a real clever one there. But just, it actually has another layer of symbolism, which means it's always that which is opposed to God. In fact, when, the, um, when God's people are in exile, when they're wandering around, they don't know where they're supposed to go, and they've been kicked out of their homeland, oftentimes it's described as formless and empty, the wasteland. That's where the people end up. And the darkness is that anything would oppose God. And there you have then a chaotic darkness opposed to what God has done. And yet, the way it's described, by scholars will describe it this way. This situation is the world that is not yet good. It's a world that is not yet good. And then we see verse 3. And God said, into chaos, into darkness, a word is spoken. Words are pronounced into the darkness and into the chaos to give them order. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And all of a sudden, now what was once chaotic, now begins to take shape. The darkness begins to go away because there's a word spoken into it. Verse 4 and 5, God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now, you have a picture where words do the overcoming of things that are chaotic and dark. Words are spoken into a place in which dark cannot prevail. And words, a word, brings order into creation. Now, if we're talking in this series, this listen series, about the idea that God produces and speaks, which means that there are words, it means that there's probably something within that that means that words matter, that the words God speaks are important. Later we'll see that this gospel writer, a guy named John, the way he characterizes Jesus is consistent with this kind of speaking voice of God in a very unique way. He captures this idea of God speaking his words into the darkness and bringing order into darkness in the most surprising way. And so you look at the beginning of the account of Jesus' life in the Gospel of John, and it looks like this. In the beginning. Look familiar. Now, the Bible starts with an in the beginning story in which God overcomes the darkness with his words spoken into the dark, into the chaos. John's Gospel, the account of Jesus' life and ministry, all of whatever that might look like, he starts it the same way in the beginning. And he says it this way, was the word. A word is spoken into the darkness at the beginning of Scripture. And now John accounts, he says, in the beginning was the word. Repeating it, only he just says, was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Now it's getting weird. And then look at this pronoun. He 
was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. It means everything comes from this now personified term, word. In Greek it's a term, you might have heard it before if you've been around church at all, it's a term that means logos or logos. And essentially the way to describe the term, logos, is to say that it's, it's a philosophical principle borrowed from Plato, but really takes some root in the first century by a guy named Philo, which is kind of an interesting name, but Philo basically describes it like this. It's the rational, guiding power behind creation. One, one scholar says it this way, that it's the imminent presence of God in our midst. And so you have, the, the way John describes the beginning of all things is that there is a person, a word, who is spoken. It's a word. As you watch, in fact, that verse, this one right here, this is, um, I'll go to the next verse. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It is the word which overcomes, which is a spoken thing, a word which overcomes darkness. There's something unique about this term, this logos. There's something weird about it. There's something very kind of surprising about it, which John keeps coming back to to explain. He uses a Greek term to explain a Hebrew principle which is that God is imminently present. And he begins to define the way that this word works. Looks like this. He says later on, skipping down a couple verses, in verse 14 he says this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Now, the word that he makes his dwelling among us, it's a Greek word, it's all one word, and it just simply means to make a tent among the people to dwell among, to be around them, to sit in their midst. The way in which God will deal with darkness and chaos in the world is with a word. Who will dwell among us? John says that this, this word takes on flesh. All of the imminent power of God, all of the meaning, the guiding rational principle which has made everything is now personified in flesh, which sometimes you'll see that the 10 cent Bible word for that is to be incarnated, means to take on flesh, right in our midst. Now, this is kind of a tough concept. I, I, I get that. It's kind of a weird concept to understand. God infleshes himself and walks among people. And the best way I can explain it is with a video from one of my kids' favorite shows. They don't watch as much anymore, but maybe you've seen it. Can we show that video right here? This is a show called Word World. Welcome to Word World. Our word friends love to build a word. That's Word World, where words come alive, words save the day, and where words become a child's best friend. Word World. I love this show. <laughs> okay. Okay, thank you. There we go. PBS, everybody. Okay, now, I want you to catch what was happening. It's actually really deep philosophy actually happening in that show, which is... That the word itself, which is a concept, takes on the shape which represents that concept, and it lives out the purpose for which that concept is. So a rocket spells the word rocket and is a rocket and can take people to the moon. A truck 
spells the word truck, has the meaning of the word truck, and is literally a truck that can drive around and do stuff. When the word becomes flesh, everything that is God is represented fully in the word, which is now walking among the people, in the darkness, in the chaos, to bring about order. Now, the now Jesus, this word, is how things that have begun to become undone or chaotic in our world are going to be restored. That is God's mission in Jesus. That is the way in which he'll do it. The way in which God will restore all things is going to be in Jesus. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves as we think about this, if the beginning of the Bible, repeated again by John, has this notion that God intends to enter into the darkness to bring about order from chaos, the question that we all have really, really seriously, you have to take seriously, is this one. What is presently overcoming you? What darkness, what chaos, what loneliness, what fear, what anxiety, what is overcoming you? Is it a scary, chaotic, dark untruth about yourself? Is it a circumstance that's come about? What is it that is overcoming you? By what things have you been overcome? This week I was in um, was at an Irvine campus. I was, you know, we're there most Wednesdays for meetings and stuff, and I'm there working on some, actually I was working on this message. And I'm in an office, and um, someone walks in. It was just an empty office, and so someone walks in and looks at me like, you're not supposed to be here. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. Can I work in here? Like, I don't, did someone move? You know, she looks at me like, this is my office. And I'm like, do you mean to move? She goes, no, 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 it's okay. I'll, I'll find another spot. She goes down a couple, you know, more offices. And then a guy comes in a few seconds behind her. And a few seconds behind him is another woman who walks into the office. And the, the, they don't close the door. And my door's a little bit open. And I can hear them talking. Just kind of, I don't really hear exactly what they're saying. I can hear the muffled tones of what's going on. And I begin, as their volume rises, I can begin to hear what's happening. And the words get a little, clear, little clearer, unlike the ones I just said. The words are getting a little clearer. And their volume is getting louder. And the intensity is rising. And I hear what's happening now. This marriage is in crisis. And people are beginning to sob out loud and scream at each other. And the first woman who went in there is their counselor. And she's trying to help them begin to talk to each other. And those people are agonizing in pain. And they want their marriage to work and they're looking at each other and they're looking at this counselor and they're yelling at each other and they're going, I wish there was some other way. And they're having it out, they're literally, they're literally having it out in this office. And there's so much pain and so much chaos and darkness in their marriage. I got a text message from a friend of mine. She text messaged a bunch of people this week. She just said, her, she has a son who has a terminal illness. She found out her other son has a terminal illness. Darkness. Chaos. I mean, why does that have to happen? How overcoming is that kind of thing? How overcoming is that kind of darkness? For us, what is it in you that is overcoming you? What is it about your own life? Is it an addiction, a secret? Is it some kind of pain that you buried? Is it some kind of thing that you're not paying attention to? Is it something that is so overwhelming you just can't literally know, you don't even know where to begin? But you're going, my gosh, I'm just overwhelmed, I'm overcome. See, and then there's the series where we're talking about this idea of this word speaks into the darkness. This word steps into the darkness, embodying all of the meaning of whatever that is, and walks among us. And there's some kind of relationship, in other words, that we're kind of supposed to have with this word 
who walks among us, this God's speaking order into the world. We're supposed to have some kind of relationship, some kind of connectedness with this idea. And John writes, later on he'll write this, the Apostle John, he'll write also some letters to the early church. And he'll write letters explaining how stuff is supposed to work. And he comes across this, he says this really wise phrase that it's worth repeating, which John says, let me give you this understanding of what it means to be someone who walks with Jesus, who understands the idea of this relationship with the one who overcomes the darkness. Look what he says. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Overcomes. Now, a couple of things here. There's a lot of stuff in here which is like really churchy, Bible-y, Jesus-y. I want to try and unpack that a little bit. The idea of born of God, which we'll get to in a second, he's explaining some kind of relationship in which Jesus is some kind of, he's some kind of father. There's some kind of relationship there as a father. And it is that person connected to God who overcomes the world. John will use the word cosmon. It's a Greek word. You get the word cosmos. You've heard the word cosmos before. It's a word describing two things, essentially. One is it describes all of the created universe. That's the cosmon. But it also describes, at least the way John uses it, describes the systems and the powers of this world which govern the world. And in every instance, particularly you'll see in John, 1 John chapter 2, you'll see him talk about what, absolute, what happens when people trust in the world. That it leaves them empty. It leaves them wanting more. That the world itself is a broken system. And he says, there's a way in which we can overcome it. You know, I was thinking this, this week, there's, um, I saw this, this, it's kind of humorous, it's sad, but it's also kind of humorous. I saw... Um, the Syrian government this week, you know, whoops, we're looking at the, sorry, we're looking at the world. And um, they're, they're trying, I don't know if you guys saw this in the news. Syrian government was like, we got we to change our image. It's like, no kidding, Syria. But they're like, we got to change our image. And we want people to start using the hashtag, summer in Syria. <laughs> to just highlight some of the really fun things that are happening in Syria. Well, I mean, they basically... I mean, the, the world does have some great things in it. Let's just be really clear. In the midst of darkness, there's some really great things. Danica, who's leading worship, she's, she got engaged on Friday night. That's good, right? Yeah, Woo! exactly, right? You know, she's not one of those people, but you know those people when they get engaged, they're like, How are, how's everybody doing? Just, everybody good? I don't know if there's anything you wanted to see, but man. Woo! I mean, she's not like that, but you get that picture that she could be. But anyway, there's great stuff happening. I talked to a couple as we were coming in. They just renewed their wedding vows. They've been married 11 years. And we're like, we're, gonna, we're taking this seriously. We want to take this seriously. We want to make sure, we want to tell the story to our kids and our neighbors. And, you know, that's good stuff. But the world is not just pretending everything. It's not, I mean, it's like there's more than just the sort of difficult. There's really great stuff. And there's some difficult things that happen too. I don't want to like discredit the good things. But there's some real darkness in the world. What happened with the hashtag summer in Syria is that all of the Syrians began taking pictures of what's actually happening in the summer in Syria. And it's the most, it's most like, and they wrote, it's, it's intended to have this sort of tongue-in-cheek sadness because you have these pictures of like burnout buildings and then like people are tweeting the, what they're describing as like travel brochure kind of language. Come visit us in the summer in Syria. You know, it's like all of that. I mean, it's like the world can't just be pretended to be better than it is. And yet they're still good that God's at work doing. So what do we do? keeps on writing this. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith, John's just saying, those of you who have faith are going to overcome the world. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. In other words, there has to be the relationship. Whether or not you want this or believe this or your friends brought you or dragged you here and you're not sure about Jesus or the church or whatever else it is. But the only way, the Bible says, 
to overcome the world after you've tried everything else is some kind of relationship of faith with Jesus. The one who is the word spoken into the darkness to bring about light. That the only way we can overcome stuff is that way. Now, what do we do? What do we do? Now, I think there's basically three ways in which we kind of engage in this sort of struggle against the darkness. I think there's a couple ways. And here's the way I think a lot of us think of it. One of the ways we could, if whatever the chaos is in our lives, some of us will power up. This is usually a lot of guys. And, you know, this, at least some of the time. We'll try to figure out how to fight fire with fire, so to speak. We'll try to figure out how to fight darkness with darkness. Is probably another way to say it. We'll get stronger. We'll get meaner. We'll get quicker. We'll have shorter reaction times. And we'll be able to step up with power and authority and deal with stuff. That's one way. Other way we'll do stuff is, I think this is for a lot of us, this is kind of the denial of things. This is the summer in Syria kind of mode. Hey, everything's cool. We're fine. We're fine. Summer in Syria. I mean, that's kind of the way a lot of us do, which is to deny. Things are overcoming us, and it's just too hard to deal with them, so just pretend like they're not there. But I think most of us, myself included, we generally think that the best way to handle things that are scary or overwhelming or overcoming is that we escape them. We try to run away from them. That's scary. That's difficult. I don't like that. I'm just going to run away from it. And in some cases, that's absolutely reasonable. But I want you to entertain a different possibility. That maybe the way we deal with darkness and chaos in our lives isn't simply to try to avoid it. Maybe there's another way. John writes this in, he records this in Jesus' words in John chapter 17, his gospel. He says this. My prayer, Jesus is praying right now, right before he's about to be arrested. My prayer is not that you, speaking to God, take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Let me clarify what's happening here. Jesus is speaking about his disciples. He's praying, not that God would just take them away from the world. In fact, there's a lot of people who I talk to who say, the best thing God could do is just take us all away. And yet Jesus is saying about his own disciples, no, 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 don't take them away. Leave them here. There's work that they have to do in the world, and I want them to be a part of it. Now, you have to imagine if the disciples who should have been awake would have heard this, what they would have said was, how about you just take us away? Calgon, take me away, right? Now, they just wish there was some way or another that Jesus could just take them away from all of the pain and suffering and sorrow in the world. In fact, they keep longing this would be the case, that they would build a secret society outside of the world and wait for God to do whatever he's going to do. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I'm sending you into it. His prayer for his own people is, I'm, I, don't want you to, I don't want you to be out of there. I want you just to be protected. He goes on to say it this way. It gets even scarier. They are not of the world, speaking of his disciples, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. The word sanctify just means set them apart. Make them different. Make them unique for the world. Set them apart. Your word is the truth. Set them apart by this truth. Your word is the truth. Interesting language here. And then he says this incredibly scary thing. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Which means it's not just not removal, it's actually being sent into the world. That what God intends to do with his own people is send them into the heart of the darkness. That can't be what the disciples were wanting. Nearly all of them were killed because they believed in Jesus. John's John's one of the only ones who lived, he died in prison. I mean, it's like, you have to imagine, they were like, could you not send us into the world? Can we do something else? 
And if there's this powerful truth that's right in front of us that we don't like, we start talking about darkness. It's really, no matter whatever age you are, it's the one we don't like the most. I'll show you right now. It's just this really scary thing. I read it in a Robert Frost poem, and I just wish it wasn't true. The best way out is always through. I hate that. (laughs) The best way out is clearly to run around it, to avoid it. Whatever it is, find another way. Stay in your tent and know that you're safe. The only way my daughter makes it to the bathroom in the dark at camp is through the darkness. The only way, the only way, apparently, God intends to work in us, not the only way, the way God intends to work in us is through the darkness. He has embodied all of what it means to be God, walking in and among us, and he holds us and walks us through the darkness, and we go, I can't make it, and we want him to say, okay, let's just go around it. We can only go through it sometimes. Some of us face some of the most difficult decisions, most difficult trying times in our lives. Right now we're in the midst of them. And we're looking for a way for it to be over, a way to get out of it. And maybe God is sending you into it. And I wish that wasn't the case. I would rather run. Most of us would rather run away. And yet God, maybe Robert Frost is right. Jesus is sending his disciples into the midst of the world. Even though John says earlier, the world cannot overcome you, which seems like the best thing that if the world is an overcoming possibility, then we should get away from it. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm sending you into it. So what am I supposed to do? Now, let me tell you, I, have, I get questions like this all the time. And there's a question I get asked all the time. It's a real practical question, which is this. How am I supposed to hear God's voice, Jeff? Like you're a pastor and, you know, you seem like you kind of know what that is. And, uh, you know, can you tell me what that's like? And I'll, I'll just give you real practical example of what I mean, and it works about 85% of the time. It's not always, it's not always accurate, but I'll tell you, as, and I can tell you, my accuracy is increasing the more I employ it, but it's not always perfect. Here's the way I hear God's voice, okay? When I feel like I'm up against the darkness that I'm probably going to be sent through, there's two questions I have to ask myself. There's more than I probably should, but here's at least two of them, okay? One of them, is, is the direction that I feel like I'm being guided in by God's voice, his word, is it good? Is it good? I mean, like, is it going to bring about some kind of order eventually? Is, this, is it going to bring about something from the disorder, disconnection, the evil, whatever it is, chaos, is it going to bring about good? Secondly, and maybe not in this order, <laughs> I don't know why this is, I'll ask, is it difficult? And usually if the answer is yes, <laughs> that's the way I got to go. I don't know why that's the case. Some of you are like, that's the answer. It's good and, and difficult. Yeah. 85% of the time. Sometimes it's good and it's not difficult. Very rarely. What I mean is, there is something that God is calling us to. And darkness is scary. It is difficult to walk ourselves through. We, we're terrified of it. And yet, sometimes that's the way in which the most order is brought about. Now, like I said, the more you attempt this, the better at it you'll become. But let me tell you how I've seen this just recently, tell you what this looks like. If you watched this week, you watched the, um, the bond hearing for um, Dylan Roof, the shooter in Charleston. You watched some of the video of this. Um, you can watch it on YouTube too, but there's this, this shooter who killed all these families, people. And in the bond hearing, they bring in the families to come in and address him. He's on a TV screen and he's, you know, in a cell and they talk to him. And here's what you hear. 
the people, these people who have seen their own family members die in a really unbelievably horrific way, they start saying these things. They start saying the most insane things. They start saying things that nobody can understand. They start saying this. Your pain, the pain you've caused us, we don't know how to deal with. We'll never have our loved one back again. But we forgive you. We forgive you. The next person will get up and say basically the same thing. I regret the loss, but I forgive. I don't know what else to do, but I forgive you. I feel sorry for you, and I forgive you. Over and over again, family after family keeps saying these words. And you have to wonder how difficult that is. If you want to read, now you can't read this with your young kids around, read the, the YouTube responses to the bond hearing. But if you look at it, you get people who are responding with all kinds of swearing for how in the world can you forgive this person? Christians are crazy for forgiveness. I can't believe they would do this kind of thing. And yet what I just want to say is in the moments of the past several you know, months, years, where we've seen some real great injustice and reactions by people, some of the reactions, the feelings justified though they might be, have resulted in more chaos and darkness. And in this case, there are people choosing the most difficult road one that people may not understand that is bringing about a new kind of order. Difficult. Good. God speaks into the darkness and he calls us to be a part of it somehow. That somehow or another we're a part of bringing about this kind of restoration, this hope for the world. Now, as people ask me, how do I hear from God? There's another really boring answer I'm going to give you. So prepare yourself for the most predictable answer in the entire world. Just lower your expectations to the lowest possible bar because this is not a magic sort of, you know, potion. There's no like one, two, three bow on this that you're gonna go, I didn't see that coming. This is genius, okay? So prepare yourselves. I'm gonna give you this, it's almost patronizing this answer, okay? So brace yourselves, okay? So you hear God in this one way, which is it's difficult and good. That's about 85% accurate. But to really know if that's actually the way you ought to go, it's this answer. Now, I'll give you this, then we'll talk about it. John 15, 4, which ironically you do not have on your outline. For some reason you have 1 through 3 and verse 5 on your outline, but this is what verse 4 looks like. Pretty exciting. Okay, here we go. Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now he's just using an analogy of like a vine and a branch. That's all it is, okay? And he says, you can't bear fruit unless you're connected to me. Verse 5. I'm the vine you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, what Jesus is saying is, there is a unique relationship between me and you. And you got to stay connected to me. This is what you got to do. If you want to have anything happen in your life, you got to be connected to me. Because apart from me, you got nothing. Literally, it says you, you can create, you have the power to create nothing, is what it reads in Greek. You have the power to create nothing. I think about how much time I have spent in my life trying to create and make stuff and do things that have resulted in nothing. I feel like sometimes in my own life when I'm in the deepest struggle, I feel like someone handed me a Rubik's Cube. I do not know how to do a Rubik's Cube. It frustrates me. I feel like I should be able to. I feel like I'm a smart guy. I cannot do a Rubik's Cube. I feel like I'm just spinning it and hoping that out of the more spinning there would eventually result in order. Like if I scramble this enough, mathematically, there's like a one in a 500 billion chance that a random, you know, I'll get it. You know, it's like, that's all I know how to do. And I feel like for so much of us in our lives, particularly when we're facing real darkness, it's like, I have to do something. I got to do something. 
Jesus says, if it's disconnected from me, it's not going to really result in anything. Now, the way in which, one of the critical ways, I should say it that way, one of the most critical ways in which we get to understand what it means to be connected to the word is to read the word. I know, it's fresh, it's sharp, it's peppy, it's a new thing. We read the Bible. It's what the pastor told us to do. We should do that. I mean, it's like, I know, it's like not, again, it's not like you're waiting for a new, different thing. But in some ways, to be able to understand what God is directing in your life, it's really critical that that's backed up against the way he actually is described in the Bible. That in other words, you cannot be given direction to something that God is not, or that he would not say or do or be about. So read the Bible. I know, it's shocking. I know, I know. Never saw that one coming today. I know, there's a lot of curveballs, but that one is just out of the blue. If you don't have a Bible, you can steal one of ours. It's cool, it has a blue cover. It's neat. But if you need one, take one. If you know someone in your life who's going, I know they'd read the Bible, but they just don't, they're too embarrassed to go and buy one, steal one and give it to them, okay? I'll let you steal it, okay? You can show it to me on your way out, hanging out your window as you're driving away. Woo, I stole from the church. Okay, do it. Great, if you need that thrill in your life, great, okay? I realize it's not as exciting as like a page-turning, you know, crime novel. I realize there's some parts that take some effort. I realize there's some parts that are kind of boring. I get it. But if people are longing to have a deeper understanding of what it means to walk with God in their life, they're going to have to be able to have some kind of relationship with the written word, which is this word of God, and the scripture itself. And the God who lives among us as the word. We have to have all of that together. So I realize, I know that's a big deal. The practical thing I would say is, try to read one sentence of the Bible a day. If, you, if, that's, if that's beneath you, try a paragraph. I mean, just go big, all right? But start somewhere. Start reading maybe even John's gospel. If you want to start there, read it. And see what Jesus, how Jesus is described, how the word is described by the word. Take a look at it. We are trapped at times in darkness. And we are afraid of being overwhelmed and overcome. And the word is spoken into the darkness to bring about order from chaos. That is what Jesus wants to do in your own life for you, for us, for the whole of the world. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we think about and consider the darkness of our own life, the fear that we have, the loneliness we experience, Jesus, we pray that you would show up mightily that there would be light in the darkness. We have great fear. We have great doubt. Might you help us to overcome it in powerful ways? Lord, I know there's some of us in this room who are so trapped in the darkness that is so apparently overwhelming and so overcoming that they don't know what to do. Father, would you, in a very real way, make your presence known to them? Might they feel the freedom to come forward to receive prayer from our prayer team? I know some of you in the room may need to come forward. The darkness kind of, that whole conversation is really kind of unearthed some stuff. You want to write a prayer and place it in the prayer wall or have someone put a hand on you and say, I'm in, God is in this with you through the darkness. Father, would you hear our own words set to music, our prayers set to song, would you hear them sung to you that we might better get a picture, Father, of who you are, the one who speaks to us, the one who gives life, the one who overcomes the darkness. Father, we need your power to overcome. We respond to you now in song. In Jesus' name, amen.